It's often apparent when someone else doesn't read a room, but much harder to see it in ourselves. On this episode, how we can do a better job of either literally or figuratively reading the room. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 651. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. If you're anything like me, I'm sure you have seen it happen before where you watch someone interact in a room or given a presentation and you have the thought, hmm, they didn't really read the room very well. We've all seen that happen to someone else, and I think I know I've had that happen to me on a number of occasions too. One of the core skills that leaders need is that skill of perspective, the ability to, as we say, be able to read the room. We can all get better at that. Today, I'm so glad to welcome a leadership expert. It's going to help us to really look at how we can do a better job at being able to build the skill of perspective so we can read the room, either literally or figuratively. I so appreciate having Kirsten Ferguson on the show today. She is a company director, columnist, keynote speaker, and executive coach. She began her career as an officer in the Royal Australian Air Force and has held roles that have included chief executive officer of an international consulting firm and acting chair and deputy chair of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. She has sat on boards of both publicly listed and privately listed companies for more than a decade. Kirsten has a PhD in leadership and in 2021 was named as one of Thinkers 50 Top Thinkers to Watch. In 2023, she was appointed a member of the Order of Australia for her significant service to business and gender equality. Kirsten writes a weekly column on leadership and work in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, and is also a contributor to the Australian Financial Review and to Forbes. She is the author of Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership. Kirsten, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your work with us. So glad to meet you. Thank you, Dave. I'm thrilled to be here. I read through the book and I just love the perspective. Speaking of perspective, there's so much in this book that's perspective on where we've come in leadership and the history of leadership. I loved getting into it. And there were two studies that really landed with me as I read through it. And one of them was a fascinating series of experiments that were conducted by Adrian DeGroote about chess players of all categories, of and specifically looking at chess grandmasters. And I think there's a lesson for us here on perspective. I was wondering if you could share those experiments with us and how it has informed your thinking on perspective. Thanks, Dave. And I'm so glad out of all the studies in the book, I love that you've picked this one out because I really liked it too, because I think it was fascinating as well. And it was a Dutch psychologist, Adrian de Groot, who was also an amateur chess player. And he was frustrated that he wasn't doing better at chess and he wanted to study what is it about the grandmasters that makes them so special? Why is it they can remember to do so well and, and win at chess? And he was convinced that they must have photographic memories. So he did this first experiment where he placed 20 pieces on a chessboard and he imitated the layout of just a possible game. And of course, he asked two groups of chess players, experienced and amateurs, if they could quickly glance at the board and then memorize the location of the pieces. And just as he expected, 
the amateurs, they couldn't remember where the pieces were at all, but the Mm. grandmasters could. They put them back exactly where he had laid them out. So de Groot thought, yep, that's it. They've got incredible powers of memory. But he then tested his theory again and he placed the chess pieces randomly on the board Ah. and neither the amateurs or the grandmasters could remember where the pieces had been. So what it sort of showed him and us and where I think we can learn from this fun experiment is that the chess players didn't have a better memory than anyone else, but they could perceive the moves that were to come. They read the board better than the amateurs. And basically, if anyone's watched the series The Queen's Gambit and you see the the child prodigy looking at the ceiling and following chess moves in her mind, that's what grandmasters do. They can look forward a number of steps and they can read the board and see where pieces can go. And I think as leaders, that's exactly what we're doing all the time. We need to be constantly reading the signals of what's going on in our room, whether it's obviously a literal room, but probably more likely your team, your organisation, maybe your industry, and see where those pieces are moving and try and see a few steps ahead so that we can make the best decisions that we can. You write, the process of leading with perspective is one that never ends and is easily taken for granted. It is not about truth and getting to the right answer, but about continually rethinking the story or pattern about what is happening. As I read that and I reflect on what you just said, you didn't say these words in the book, I don't think, but there is a distinction that showed up for me between arrival and there being an ongoing process. I think oftentimes we think of like, okay, I I figured it out, I've arrived, I figured out an answer. But what I'm really hearing you inviting us to think about perspective and reading a room is this is an ongoing process, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) fool is any of us that thinks we've actually got to the the final answer really on complex issues like we're discussing at work or in relationships or whatever it might be. There's always this changing dynamic that's happening. And the moment that you understand the room you're in, something in it will have changed. There'll be new players in it. There'll be a new innovation that's changed it. There'll be ways that you're going to have to adapt your leadership style to whatever is going on at that time. I mentioned there were two studies that really grabbed my attention. And the other one was a study you cite about medical residents who were given a situation with a patient to diagnose and to go down the path of figuring out what was going on so they could appropriately treat the person. And there was only one right answer. And the study is fascinating in and of itself. But what was really interesting for me, and and you mentioned relevant for all leaders, is just the different ways that medical residents tended to approach how to solve the problem. I'm wondering if you could highlight a bit of that, because I think it like speaks so so eloquently to how a lot of us tend to approach things. Yeah, and and again, it's not the context of what they were solving. They were anaesthetist medical residents. There was 39 of them in the study, and they were given this patient, and they they were given, obviously, the ability to ask for symptoms and things, and there were seven possible outcomes that it could have been for plausible explanations, but only one of them was correct. And so this study looked at how those trainees or those medical residents 
solved the problem. And what was really interesting is, the, or a little concerning, two of them are what they called a stalled. They just couldn't solve the problem at all. They couldn't generate any diagnoses, but luckily there was only two of those. Nine of them were what they called adaptive. And we see this in our workplaces a lot where you rule out potential causes. You're methodically sort of working through each of the problems until you find the right diagnosis. Eleven were what was called fixated. And again, how often do we see people with tunnel vision trying to solve a problem and they just found a solution that they thought was right, but in fact it was incorrect, regardless of evidence or cues that was going on to the contrary, they continued along their path. But the most interesting, I think, group was the largest and they were what these researchers called vagabonds. And I love that name, David. I love <laughs> vagabonding. And that was where the medical residents had a wide range of different diagnoses, but they jumped from one to another without fully treating and ruling each out. So because they were erratic in their problem solving, they became much less effective in their problem solving. And the issue around reading a room is it's impossible to read a room when it's a constantly changing room in this sense. Mm. So I think it's a really great message for how many of us are trying to solve a problem and we race to assume the solution hasn't worked or we get enticed by someone suggesting a different solution and jump to that before we've really finished doing the first explanation we might have tried to pursue. Yeah, and, and that's what struck me so much about thinking about this study too while while looking at uh, medical residents, of course, it I see so many of these patterns in myself and in the leaders mm. I serve, and I'm sure you do too, of the tendency of like, we we tend to vagabond where we'll explore lots of different things, but we don't really actually think through and go through and rule out and test and try things. Or if we do fixate on something, then we really do fixate on that and we tend to miss the proverbial elephant in the room that's, that's there, yeah. right? And so there's a there's an opportunity for us to, to to do better at I think being a little bit more of that adaptive kind of a person if we can move that way that's helpful I think so and I, I mean I look at that those four and they all resonate and at different times you know I've probably experienced all of them the adaptive style is obviously the most methodical and I think there'll be situations where that's really the only appropriate answer but I definitely agree with you that it's something we can practice if we're conscious of it. And this is all around being intentional around how we make our decisions and being really conscious of when we're going into a situation, what kind of signals are we picking up? And one of the things my research found around perspective was not only is it the most important of the eight attributes I had a look at because it correlated the most highly with all of the others, but it was also one that really helped develop um, leadership around diversity and inclusion. And that's because when you lead with perspective, not only are you able to read a room, but you notice who's missing from the room as well. And I think when we think about those medical residents, that's a skill that's, whether it's people or voices or input into helping make those decisions, that's where the people who were fixating on a solution or who were stalling on a solution really hadn't thought through, well, what's missing from me being able to, to find the correct diagnosis? And it's so easy for all of us to fall into that trap because, of course, the reality of perspective is 
we all bring our own biases of our upbringings, the cultures we've worked in and lived in, the relationships we have or don't. And I'm thinking about that, especially as you said, from a DEI perspective, that it's easy to miss sometimes what's not there as well, too. What an important thing for us to be able to to get beyond ourselves because it is it's just a reality that's an obstacle for all of us. Yeah, we've all got biases. So would none of us get away from those? And being conscious of them is of course incredibly helpful. But even I don't don't know about you, Dave, but I, I know I can be conscious of my biases and still experience them because they're so ingrained. And it often that's why feedback's so important because it can point out that you have fallen into that trap. So reading a room is one very important way to be conscious of what leadership approach is going to be most effective at what time and depending on where you are. And I think that's why it's such an incredibly important part for modern leaders because the way we lead is changing and the way we may have led for the last decade or two or more may not still be fit for purpose. And so at a wider, broader level, that's reading the room as well. It's reading and thinking, okay, in the culture that I'm trying to build in my organisation or that I'm a part of, is the way I'm leading actually having the impact, the positive impact that we want it to have? Because I really believe that leadership is simply a series of moments And obviously every moment offers us an opportunity to leave a positive impact. But to be able to do that, you need to be able to read the situation that you're in, the people that you're with, the voices that you're listening to, the voices that are missing. I think all of those things help you lead with perspective. I was thinking about what you said a moment ago, that even if we're aware of our own biases, it doesn't it doesn't mean it's a starting point, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't still fall into it. Exactly. I, I think back, there's this uh, famous quote, I'm sure you've come across too, and I can't think of where it originated from, but the, the greatest enemy of communication is the illusion of it. And I, I think about that also in the context of perspective of if you think you have perspective, if you've decided for whatever reason, because of your actions or behaviors or aware of your biases, that you have figured this out and you've got perspective, that that in and of itself may be the thing that holds you back from actually really leaning in. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And it reminds me of the terrifying statistic around self-awareness that 92% of us think we're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% of those we lead agree. Mm. Now, that really worries me because Obviously, we all like to think that we're reading a room, we're aware of the impact we're having on those around us. But the reality is we're flawed creatures, we're doing our best, but we want to be able to seek feedback. And I know, you know, with your listeners and the work you do, feedback's such a critically important part of being able to develop these skills because you may think you've read the situation well, but in fact, no one else agrees. Yeah, indeed. You write on this, modern leaders balance their need for action with a disciplined approach to understanding, not just the problem to be solved, but also the thinking process, driving their search for a solution. And it just, as I was thinking about that, it I, I hear such an invitation to process first, the beginning, the movement versus like getting to the answer. Yes, that will come. And, and so that's a it's an invitation, I think, for all of us to be willing to do more than we might normally do walking into a room or a situation. And one of the points you make is to zoom out and to seek broader input than we might 
otherwise think to do. I'm wondering what that looks like. Yeah. And, you know, it's so hard, Dave, when people are busy <laughs> to do everything that you've just mentioned. Yeah. I want listeners to know that I get it. I, I'm a leader as well. And sometimes it's so much quicker to just ask the people who are right in front of you, how should we think through this, get to the point of decision and action quickly and move on to the next. Yet, I think all of us have also experienced where we have made decisions a bit more slowly and a bit more mindfully and sought to take the time to go and ask someone perhaps in a different industry that's kind of touching on something you might be thinking about doing, asking them what worked, what didn't, what should I be aware of, who is it that I am trying to make a decision for, what would they be suggesting, you know, that I need to think about. Taking that time ultimately will mean that you're likely to have a better outcome. Now, that's not always possible. Obviously, in times of crisis and different situations, you're not going to have the luxury of being able to zoom out necessarily. But that art of modern leadership I write about is knowing what is needed and when. And so that tempo and judging what the tempo of decision-making is, that's another element of reading the room. That's another element of leading with perspective because they're all different signals that we're taking in all the time in terms of what kind of leader do I need to show up to be right now to get the best from the people I'm leading and to get the best outcome that I'm trying to, to navigate. Well, you said two things there that I'm so curious about. One of them was this reality that we are all so busy, right or wrong in some of our schedules, right? But we do have this sense of like, gosh, I, to add one more thing, to take the time to really slow down and think this through. And I'm sure you've run into this so much in your own work. Of, But there are times to really stop and do that. And I'm, I'm wondering what you've noticed is either an indicator for you or folks you've supported that helps you decide when is it time to really stop and to do more process and perspective gathering? And when maybe is that not as important? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think for me, and I'm definitely got a lot of work to do because I'm very good at decision-making, quick decisions, and sometimes I don't think through the consequences. And I, you know, in my mind, 80% of them work out okay, but there's 20% I look back and think I probably should have thought that one through a bit more. Mm. I think what happens is that if you're in a situation where the consequence is very high and there's a lot of risk involved, we're more likely, oh, you would hope, to go and seek out uh, ways to mitigate whatever the consequence might be of a decision. And I think we naturally tend to err on the side of a bit more caution in those situations. And they're also the ones where I know I'm conscious of my my bias that I live a particular life. I'm a white woman in who's 50. I don't represent the lived experiences of you know, most other people. And so if I'm making a decision that I know is going to affect people different to myself, then I am, I am and I try to be conscious of going and seeking out the input from those who it is going to affect that might have a very different lived experience to me. Hmm. Now, that all comes from trial and there are getting it wrong, <laughs> you know, learning along the way that you haven't thought of things and not because you've deliberately 
ignored the importance. You haven't even thought of it because it hasn't been part of your existing experience. And that's why we need to zoom out and get those different voices because we are guaranteed to miss things if we don't do that. Yeah, which is exactly the other thing I was thinking about you said a moment ago too, which was to seek out folks in different industries for that perspective too. And I think that that's something that very few leaders do or if they think about they don't actually do in practice and i'm wondering like i mean we we often like seek out advice i think many of us from people peers stakeholders but going into entirely different industries and something a lot of us think to do what's the value of doing that well i guess my answer to you there would be from my experience as a company director so i've sat on company boards big publicly listed boards for more than a decade and they're always on different industries. So at any one point, I might be on four or five boards. And it's incredible the number of, firstly, similar issues that come up across every company, regardless of what industry they're in, but also the different ways each industry might approach a particular problem. And so I've been able to practice this muscle through necessity because that's the position I've been in. But it's made me reflect on how beneficial it would be for executives, C-suite, managers, supervisors, it doesn't matter what role you have because we're all leaders, but to be able to think outside that bubble that you're often in, which is not even just your own industry, often it's just your organisation or your team and your decision-making is limited to what you're seeing every single day. Whereas the innovation or the solution or the creative way of doing something might be across the road, but in a completely different company and different industry. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about leaders needing to be lifelong learners, because the more you read and read everything, not just industry magazines and things like that, I love to read all sorts of different uh, newspapers and magazines and HBRs and all that sort of thing, because by doing so, you're broadening your understanding and knowledge of the world. And it might be that it's a chess playing example, just like we spoke about before, which seemingly Mm. hasn't got any relevance to what you might do in your day job, but you can apply the lessons. Yeah, I I love that invitation because I think that is something like we, I know, I was thinking what you said, so much my story too. I sort of stumbled into this in my work with hosting this podcast over the years of working across so many different industries. But prior to that, I really, my perspective was mostly limited by my own organization, my own industry. And I think if I hadn't been nudged that way pretty significantly, I may not have done as much of that. And and I love the invitation to like maybe just like if that's seeming like a hurdle, because I know a lot of times we're like, okay, sounds like a good idea, but like how do I actually do that in practice? I'm working <laughs> yeah. in this, I'm working in this organization. I don't know anyone in aviation or technology or healthcare. But to like starting with your reading, what a great place to start of like just picking up something you wouldn't normally pick up because you end up getting a broader perspective that you never see anywhere else. You do. And the other thing I've found, especially when, you know, it could be that you're just reading the local paper and there's this amazing story about a company that's done something and it's got nothing to do with your industry or it's not a competitor. 
I mean, get in touch with the person that they've interviewed and say, hey, I loved reading what you guys are doing. I'd love to come and learn more. I think we sometimes are reluctant to do that, yet it's so beneficial because you start building different networks, different connections. You never know where they're going to go. And so I know we're a bit off perspective now, but it's always been something that I've believed in and and followed through on and tried to build networks well beyond what I might in inverted commas need for my day job and yet they pay dividends in your day job because you learn so much more. Someone said to me recently, no one really likes to say hello, but everyone wants to be greeted. And that's just, I've been thinking about that for a few weeks since I heard that and just how we all struggle with doing exactly what you just suggested, like reaching out, we saw an, someone was featured in an article or we saw a news story or we heard someone on a podcast. And it's really like remarkable to me how many times when I have like had the courage to do that, especially early on in doing this, that people would respond and be really gracious. And yet we just create such a barrier in our own heads of just a fear. I mean, for me, it was like yeah. fear of I, I couldn't possibly reach out to someone who I don't know is in a different <laughs> industry, right? It's like we, we make it I so think much worse. Social media, though, makes it so much easier. So, yeah. you know, LinkedIn, I love getting LinkedIn messages from people I don't know who will say, Oh, I read something you've written. I mean, all of us love hearing from someone that you've been able to impact. Or if I'm approached and it's not a a request for anything. It's more just a bit of advice or just a compliment about something that you might, an initiative you might be doing. Naturally, then you respond graciously and the connection begins. So I think there are ways that we can uh, build networks without having to do that networking as an act that most people find so challenging and and cringeworthy, you know, standing around at a drinks session. It's much harder to walk up often and introduce yourself than it is to do it online. So I would encourage everyone to, to reach out to people they find interesting. Yeah. And I love that invitation to like share something that you just found helpful. And people love to hear that. I know I love to hear that when I get messages. Yeah. It's like, oh, great. They do. I know. (laughs) I'm sure. You must love getting emails when people have heard your podcast and said, I love that conversation or that question you asked. People are human. We, We like to to know that we're having a positive impact. And it's also good for us to be telling people that. It's a good way of um, feeling good about ourselves and and helping others too. Yeah. And perhaps to make the point, it's interesting like how many people don't do that, like don't ever take that step or think about it, but don't actually take the action. And I think part of what I hope comes out of this conversation is us all of us thinking like, okay, who like, could I learn something from that maybe does really come from a different perspective? And what might I do just to reach out and share like mm. what I've learned from them or, yeah. or some perspective? Yeah, it's such a great invitation. And the the other thing you write, which is also really key on this, um, as important as it is for leaders to be able to read the room, it's also important to understand that the people in the room can read you as well. And <laughs> I love the story you tell about say seen if seen in the book. and. I'm wondering if you could share that story. Well, I'm sure most of your listeners wouldn't know that I began my career in the military. I joined the Australian Defence Force Academy, so similar to all your military academies, when I was 17 in the Air Force and graduated as an Air Force officer. And But while I was at the academy, we had a very stringent sort of selection process to become 
part of the hierarchy and we're all of 20 years old we're very young at this stage but I had to take my small unit or there may be 10 of us up over a very rigorous mountain track with all our packs and carrying things up this mountain and you know it's very physically challenging but it's also mentally challenging to keep everyone including yourself able and motivated and and capable of getting up and over this particular mountain so There's an old artillery saying that when you're looking for a target on a far mountain or something, the commander might have pointed it out and the rest of the unit sort of replies verbally an affirmation that they can see this target. So it was shortened to say seen if seen. And so everyone, the officer would say, say seen if seen, and everyone would respond seen. Anyway, I, for whatever reason, decided to use that as we went up over this mountain and I was finding very sort of short distances and it might be a boulder or a tree or something as we were walking up over this mountain and I'd point it out and I'd get everyone to say seen if seen. And it became this incredibly powerful way of motivating us all because the mountains then became just small bite-sized chunks rather than an entire mountain. I wasn't certainly wasn't pointing out the very top of the mountain. It was always only a couple of hundred yards ahead. And so each goal then seemed achievable. And it was also very morale boosting because it became this sort of bit of a game. And then I would sort of find things that were quite hard to see and see if everyone could see it. So the moral, I think, looking back, that was 30 years ago, I didn't realise, you know, I was not conscious of the way I was leading in that moment. I was sort of just trying to get through that particular task. But obviously I can look back at it now and realise why it was effective was because as a leader I was creating achievable goals and I think a leader who leads with perspective can simplify complex challenges and that means bringing ideas down from what are sometimes really hard for us to wrap our heads around or they might be so overwhelming a goal that it's almost feels impossible to get there a leader who can lead with perspective and effectively read a room knows that they've realized that that's going to be difficult and they've found a way to communicate where they want their team to go in a simple yet still very rewarding way and everyone will get behind that. So I think this idea of breaking down very big tasks into more bite-sized chunks is something we can all do all the time. Mm. Uh, thanks for sharing that story. And I I loved reading about it because it got me thinking about reading a room from a different perspective that oftentimes we think about reading a room as coming in and assessing and as we've been discussing like figuring out what's happening what's happening in the room what's happening outside the room and it's also a partnership of mm. shaping the perspective of the room as a leader especially and you did that as a cadet of course all those years ago and it's an it's a both and here isn't it like it's both being able to read the room understand it's a process of just like you going up the hill and looking for each rock, of course, and pointing that out. And it's also the leading with it, so much of a both hand. Yeah, and I think everything is. But we remember you said at the beginning how it's a constant process. It's constantly changing and moving. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't as though 
when I reached each rock or even reached the top of the mountain, it had it didn't end there. That was just a small part of what was a much bigger process that we were going through. And so I think that's another message for leaders that this is this consciousness of what we're leading through and in and who with and the impact that we're having on those around us and those who are impacted by our decisions. And I think if you're constantly conscious of that, you're likely to recognise that all of those moments count. You know, every single moment is going to be a moment that someone will be impacted in in some way and you want to make sure that they're going to be the most positive and I think you're more likely to have a positive outcome if you have read what's needed in that particular situation. And I should mention, Dave, I know we'll probably get to it, but people listening can measure how well they lead with perspective. I created a scale with one of the universities in Australia called the Head and Heart Leader Scale. And anyone can visit headheartleader.com and do it there for free. I've had more than 16,000 people do it since January. So I hope listeners find it interesting and you'll be able to see ranked where perspective is for you. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I was just about to to mention the website because speaking of consciousness and be, and creating more awareness of this and perspective, uh, so helpful to do that on all the qualities you mentioned in the book. So that's one invitation that I have for folks too. We'll link that up in the episode notes. If And perhaps that's your first step of starting to think, okay, hearing this conversation, thinking about who I might reach out to that's not in my industry, thinking about how I might broaden my reading, thinking about reading the room more effectively. That's a great starting point, as is the book as well. I mean, you go into so much more detail, of course, in the book on all these areas. So thank you so much for that invitation. We'll make sure to to get folks there no, too. Thank you, Dave. And yeah, I, I mean, perspective's just one of the eight attributes of leading with our head and their heart. And leading with our head and their heart requires us to read a room and, and understand which of those attributes is going to be needed and when. So yeah. perspective just happens to be, I think, probably one of the most important. Well, and speaking of perspective, leaders, of course, are always learning and growing, and sometimes we're changing our minds on things too. As you reflect on the process, of course, of creating this book, writing it, getting it out in the world, and of course, all the work you're doing and and speaking and working with leaders, if you reflect on the last couple of years of doing that, what's something that you've changed your mind on? That is an excellent question, Dave, (laughs) and there's lots of things, but I thought I'd focus on something related to perspective because we've been talking about that. One of the bits of feedback I received after the book was released in Australia earlier this year was from, I think I probably heard from maybe two people, but that they were on the spectrum and they asked me about reading the room. With leaders who are neurodivergent, obviously reading the room looks very different for them. And so it's not something I've changed my mind on, but it's something I regret not including in the book is the perspective of those who are neurodivergent, because I think reading the room for them is much more challenging and something that I hadn't considered. And I think there's an enormous opportunity for us who are not neurodivergent to really be using our empathy to understand that reading a room is going to be much more challenging and finding ways that we can accommodate that as well. Kirsten Ferguson is the author of Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership. Kirsten, thank you so much for your work. Thank you for having me, Dave. 
If this conversation was helpful, three related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 430, How to Start Seeing Around Corners. Rita McGrath was my guest on that episode, Columbia business professor with an expertise in innovation and looking towards the future. And one of the challenges many of us have as leaders is we get caught up in the success that we're having in our roles, in our company, in the industry for the moment, but we're not doing enough to look forward and look toward the future and see around corners. As she discusses, there is much that we can do to do a better job at that. And we talk in detail about episode 430 on how to do a better job at being proactive. Also recommended episode 440, Leadership in the Midst of Chaos. Jim Mattis was my guest on that episode, former Secretary of Defense here in the States, also a four-star general in our Marine Corps. Jim and I talked about coaching a bit in that conversation, but we also talked about his practice of how he did a better job of reading the room in his unit when he was a field commander. One of the practices he had was something he called focused telescopes of looking out to and proactively having conversations with junior officers and many people in the unit to be able to do a better job at reading the room around him of what was happening in the unit and in the larger context of the theater that they were operating in. Many great resources and principles from Jim in that conversation, episode 440. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 614, the way to get noticed by key stakeholders. Daphne Jones was my guest on that episode. She walked us through some of the really helpful tactics that we can use in order to get noticed inside of the organization and to do a better job of reading the room and then also responding to that room by helping us to develop our own personal brands. Episode 614, some wonderful practical steps for doing that. All of those episodes you can find on the Coaching for Leaders com website. If you haven't done so already, I'm inviting you today to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. When you set up your free membership, you will see a little sidebar show up when you log in and one of the menu items in there is episodes. When you select that item, you're going to see a dropdown of all of the topics we've had on the podcast since 2011. You can search for what is most relevant for you right now. I'm always flattered when folks tell me they have listened to many episodes or listened to all of them in order. And I'm always inviting those of you who are looking for what's most relevant to, in addition to that, or maybe instead of, to go into the free membership and actually find what's most relevant to you right now. What's on your radar screen? What are you struggling with today? That's a great starting point because it's going to help you to surface what's going to help you most today. Utilize the free membership for that, especially inside of the episode library. And if you have been using that for a bit, I'm inviting you also to find out more about Coaching for Leaders Plus. Several key benefits inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus, including every single month access to the new recording of our monthly expert chat. Each month, I invite a expert who has been on the podcast to sit down with our members for a conversation about their work. In fact, one of the folks I mentioned a moment ago, Daphne Jones, joined us recently for a conversation on how to get noticed by key stakeholders. But in our expert chats, it's not me asking the questions, it's our members asking the questions of the experts directly. And we record all of those events. They are part of the access inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. Years and years now of those recordings available, all of them cataloged and searchable by topic as well. 
just one of the many benefits inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. If you'd like to find out more, just go over to coachingforleaders.plus. Coaching for Leaders is edited by Andrew Kroger. Production support is provided today, as always, by Sierra Priest. I will look forward to seeing you back on Monday for our next conversation. Take care and have a great week.